0: Welcome to the Fear and Greed Daily Interview. I'm Sean Aylmer. Late last year, the Federal Parliament passed a very important piece of legislation, simply called the Respect at Work Act. It's designed to do exactly what the name suggests, make the workplace safe for all with a focus on stamping out harassment. So now that this legislation is in place, companies and employees need to be across the changes, their rights, their obligations, and of course, how to comply with the law. Deborah Corum is the Chief Executive Officer at Compliance Training Business, Safetrack. Deborah, welcome to Fear and Greed.
1: Thanks, Sean. Thanks for having me.
0: Let's start with the basics. What are the main points covered in the Respect at Work Act?
1: Yeah, so the most significant parts of the reform are that it places a positive duty on employers to take reasonable and proportionate measures to eliminate sex discrimination, including sexual harassment as far as possible in the workplace. What that effectively means is that they need to proactively prevent conduct rather than just responding to it after it occurred. It also prohibits hostile workplaces and environments on the grounds of sex, and it also and significantly expands the Human Rights Commission's investigative and enforcement powers. So it sort of turns them into a regulator, if you like.
0: Okay, I mean, any of us who have been in the workplace for a while, kind of shudder at some of the things we experienced 20 years ago. Are workplaces as bad? I mean, I think the answer to that is yes. But why is it necessary to have legislation to do this?
1: Well, I think you've probably answered your own question uh, in that many people over the years have have suffered sexual harassment. And unfortunately, Sean, there has been some workplaces that are doing it much better, but we're still seeing a frightening amount of incidences occurring. And in really large and significant organisations, we're seeing it right at the top level, CEOs. We see it on the front headlines of the papers, people being removed now, or at least it coming up in the news. But it's, it's, endemic in many many workplaces.
0: Okay so being proactive or preventing it to the best of their ability what does that mean for a business?
1: Yeah so I mean that's an interesting one and the and we have been set out some fairly clear guidelines of what the expectations are though it's important to understand that those expectations will depend on the size of the business so what's reasonable and practicable is going to depend upon the size of the business and its resources. So the expectations for a small business might be to ensure that their policies are updated and they do some basic training on staff. For a larger business, the expectations are going to be much greater. So we would look at making sure we've got clear policies and procedures for reporting and addressing sexual harassment in the workplace, regular training and education on what it is and how to prevent it and report it, fostering a culture of respect across the workplace and promoting a culture of diversity, equality, inclusion and open communication, holding managers and leaders accountable for creating and maintaining a harassment-free workplace, a workplace which encourages employees to speak up with a clear reporting process and system in place, a proper process for investigating reports, a zero-tolerance policy for harassment, and swift and disciplinary action for those who violate the policy, and providing support and resources to employees who may have experienced harassment, such as counselling services. So, it's pretty holistic what's being expected of, of companies across, you know, for a larger sized organisation.
0: Okay. So for, I mean, what's the first step? Everything you've just said, it sounds great, but so much of this is cultural, and I mean, culture probably starts at the top. What do you, CEOs and leaders need to do tomorrow or today when they're going to their workplace?
1: Yeah, so you're quite right in that sexual harassment actually starts as a social problem and we can put in place these measures. But the reality is, if we've got a leadership team that doesn't really understand these issues or doesn't care about them, which is what many workplaces are actually faced with, we have to start there. So, we really need to start with the top and making the leadership of a business care. So, how do we make a leaders of a business care? So, first of all, we would show the impact that sexual harassment has on employees, that it can affect the company's reputation and the financial bottom line. That can certainly help establish importance for addressing the issue, making it personal, making sure that leaders think about their own experiences and those of their friends, families, and colleagues. To help them gain a deeper understanding of the impact sexual harassment can have, making sure that leaders are accountable, that they're responsible for creating and maintaining harassment free workplaces, and making sure they're held accountable for their staff and the people that work for them. Uh, Providing training and education is critical in changing behaviours and changing thoughts on the topic. Starting with leaders and then looking at training going through to the rest of the organisation generally fostering a culture of respect. And that might be looking right back to things such as policies on respect, equality and inclusion. And by looking at these type of things, we can start to prevent sexual harassment occurring. And we also show a commitment to creating a safe and respectful workplace. And then leading by example, uh, we want to model the behaviour that we want to see in the workplace. So we want to ensure that our leaders uh, ensuring that their conduct is exemplary and teaches everybody else how to behave across the workplace.
0: Stay with me, Deborah. We'll be back in a minute. My guest this morning is Deborah Corum, CEO of SafeTrack. Okay, so this brings a board into it too. We have had examples in, pre, in the past couple of years where a CEO has left and it's been made clear why they have left because of inappropriate behaviour. There's also examples where boards have said, well, they're on their way, thanks very much, and it's emerged later that the real reason for them leaving was inappropriate behaviour. It kind of makes me angry when someone a board lets someone go and says it's all okay when it's not all okay. How how important is it for the board to actually fess up?
1: Uh, really important. And, in fact, the ability for us to sort of hide this sort of thing under the carpet, so to speak, has been eliminated such that the ability to have confidentiality deeds, you know, suppressing this information are being eliminated. And we want to be able to come out and actually own these behaviours, say this has happened, say this was a consequence to this action, and this isn't going to happen again. And if it does, this is what's going to happen. So having those sort of clear and accountable disclosures and consequences uh, for breaches of behaviour is critical to addressing this issue in a workplace and indeed in our society.
0: Okay, so how important was or is the Bruce Lerman trial, which he was accused but though not found guilty at this point, of raping a staffer in Parliament House, how important was that to actually bring it to the fore? I
1: think utterly critical, I think what it showed is that this sort of conduct occurs in the highest levels of government and across businesses, that most businesses don't know how to handle a report. The way that the report of Brittany Higgins was investigated and handled within that workplace was utterly appalling. And the treatment that she received and how it was investigated falls short of every methodology of how to report with sensitivity a person who has been traumatised by an incident in the workplace. And their failure of that workplace to accommodate and treat somebody respectfully after something has happened, but to almost cast doubt onto that situation, unfortunately, they questioned the wrong person. And this time she was an extremely strong individual who decided to stand up and say, this is not okay. And she really has brought everything to light. That has forced us and the hand of government and the hand of every other business to say, this is not okay, change has to happen. So yeah, I think the whole Brittany Higgins saga and her bravery has been instrumental in creating this change. I also think it came alongside the Me Too movement and the Speak Up Movement, and I think that there is a much stronger voice across society for women are not going to tolerate these behaviours any longer.
0: How hopeful are you?
1: Really hopeful. I think this uh, legislation is the strongest legislation that I've seen passed. I've been in compliance a very long time, and this legislation that is not about making something illegal and saying this cannot happen in the workplace for it to then change into a proactive duty to say the organisation has to do everything possible to prevent it, that's a whole level, different level of compliance. Mm. So what, what happens is when somebody says you can't do that, the immediate thing to do is to check the box, is to say, okay, I've done some training, I've checked the box, if something happens, I'm not going to be vicariously liable because you know, I trained my staff, I tried for it not to happen. Well, that's not going to fly under this legislation because what the commission is going to come and look at and say, did you do everything reasonably possible? Did you survey? Did you talk to your staff? Did you look at benchmarking behaviours before this all started? Did you have policies in place? Did you back up those policies with training? Did you regularly communicate it? Did you fully investigate every conduct that happened that wasn't okay? Did you have proper remediation for the people who'd been harassed? Did you have proper consequences for those found to have harassed? Did you then go up and follow up with additional reporting, additional training? Did you have policies for inclusion, diversity? There's just so many things that need to be done for a workplace to meet that obligation of a positive duty. So I couldn't think of a leader in Australia where this is not their number one or number two concern as to how they're going to go about addressing this to be compliant with this legislation.
0: So it sounds from what you're saying, the onus is very much on the business or much more than it ever has been. What are the consequences of non-compliance?
1: Yeah, well, the consequences, I mean, I personally think the biggest consequence for non-compliance is reputational harm. I think reputational harm and the media surrounding organisations that breach this legislation is stronger and more damaging than anything else that can happen to an organisation. Brand is everything for a business and being on the front page of the, uh, the papers for sexual harassment ruins your culture, affects your talent attraction, retention, It impacts your short-term and long-term shareholder value. So I think that's number one. Then, of course, you've got penalties under various legislation, the work health and safety legislation, the discrimination legislation. You've got um, small claims tribunals there. The penalties are being lifted to 100,000 there. So you've got easy recourse for complainants under that as well. Employee turnover, I think, is probably another one. Yep. And decreased productivity. So when you've got a culture of this sort of thing happening, people tend to talk about this and what's yep. happening and who did what rather than actually getting on with the business of actually working.
0: Deborah, thank you for talking to Fear and Greed.
1: Thank you for having me, Sean. Thanks very much.
0: That was Deborah Corum, CEO of Compliance Training Business SafeTrack. This is the Fear and Greed Daily Interview. Join us every morning for the full episode of Fear and Greed, Australia's most popular business podcast. I'm Sean Elmer. Enjoy your day.